Hello, hello, and welcome to Lioness Podcast with me, your host, Jane Lyon. You guys, I can already tell this is going to be a really good episode because my heart is pounding. My palms aren't too sweaty, but like, yeah, maybe a little clammy. I was just kind of like writing my notes and my outline for what I want to say today. And if you're listening to this right now, you've already seen the name of this show. So you, A, have consented to hearing my perspective on this prophetic figure in our universe. And B, I'm so grateful because that must mean that you're open and before I hit record just now, I, I said a prayer, um, which isn't really actually something I've ever done before I started a podcast episode. Um, but I said a prayer asking for all of my guides, all of the saints, all of the ascended beings that are here supporting me around me, not just the Buddhas, because there's so much more than just the Buddhas. Um, I asked them to really helped me to speak clearly, truthfully, lovingly, inclusively. I asked that this episode be one that helps us feel unified and not divided. I asked this episode to help you to feel like your mind is opening, not closing, like you're being welcomed into a space of curiosity, not shoved into a place of dogma and black and white. And to be honest, I haven't seen a lot of people in my field have this conversation yet in the way that I'm about to share with you. Um, and it feels really vulnerable. So, so before I get into it though, I just kind of want to take a sip of my beverage. (laughs) So as most of you know, I've been off caffeine for a while now and I am not a restrictive person, so when I decide to stop doing something, I decide to stop doing it until I really feel like I want it, and that is specific for my psychology, my mental well-being, my own health. So when I decide to have a latte or when I decide to have caffeine, it's kind of like, woo, we're getting crazy, and my parents have this amazing espresso machine at their house, so like, I can't resist. It's like, It's like part of getting to be there is getting to make the latte. And, um, but you guys, let, I can't, this is the most random subject I'm starting the show with, but I feel like I want to start the show kind of bringing you up to date. (laughs) My little sister, who you have all seen featured on my Instagram, she drinks these drinks called Celsius like all fucking day long. And, um, Yesterday, I was just like, you know what? I'm going to drink one of these. Like, what? Why does she like these so much? We always have a tons of them. They have so many flavors. And as I'm, like, finishing half of mine, um, and it tasted kind of weird. Like, it tasted like it was, like, a hard seltzer um, or, like, a like cough syrup or something. I was like, I don't know if I like this. But, you know, I opened it, so I kept drinking it. And about halfway through it, um, I'm like Googling to see how much caffeine is in this because my little, I'm like telling my little sister, like you have a caffeine addiction, dude. And she's like, no, I feel, yeah. Oh my God. She's like, oh no, I feel nothing. Like you'll feel nothing from the Celsius. They only have like 200 milligrams of caffeine. And I thought she was f- 
fucking kidding? And I just looked it up and she was not kidding. She was not exaggerating. The Google says 200 milligrams. So I like, you guys, I still feel wired. Like I did not sleep last night. And like when I finished half of it around like, I don't know, six or 7 p.m., when she shared that information with me as if drinking 200 milligrams of caffeine isn't a big deal, you guys. Like, that's so much caffeine. Like, I am wired right now. Maybe that's why my heart's pounding. And this was last night. It's 9.02 a.m. It's been, no, it's been 12 hours. Let's edit that. So it's funny. I, I felt like I needed to share that because that might be why I'm feeling so freaking wired right now. Caffeine will increase your anxiety. Caffeine will raise your blood pressure. So if you're an anxious or stressed person, like, or if you're like me, someone who's just so fucking high energy all the time, you don't need caffeine. You don't need it. And I'm just, this is why I allow myself to try it when I want it so that I can remind myself why I don't want it. So I, yeah, I wanted to, I, I have so many guests booked for the show right now, which I'm so grateful for. Like this show is seriously just, I mean, I love every part of my business so much, but this show really has become the highlight of my week. And I want to just shout out to my assistant, Melissa, for like taking over the complete production of this show because that is like giving me so much more time every weekend. And I'm really in this practice right now of letting go and creating more space for myself. I'm hitting that place in my business where it's like, okay, Jane, time to like chill a little bit, time to relax a little bit. But making these episodes for you, like, don't feel like work. And I love it because it's the best way that I can be with all of you, that I can really share my heart with you and share the most inspiring people with you. So I did, in, I wanted to interrupt, like, my stream of, of guests because I seriously went through so much this week. And I want to share more with you guys. Like, I need space to talk about this. And there's so much I have to say. So, I don't know. This might be a long episode. We will see. Um, I really hope I don't, like, go too deep into the rabbit hole. But if you know me and you know what the topic for today is, you know that I can get really deep on this shit. This week, on Friday night, those of you who are in Sanctuary Saturdays, you already heard my story because you all held space for me. Well, I shared, I got triggered as fuck. And the beauty of a trigger is that it reveals to you the parts of your body that have not healed fully. And I'm going to tell you more about what happened um, kind of at the end of the episode, but the amount of grief that came through my body in those next 24 hours was incredible. And the allowance that I had for my body to feel the trigger and allow the story, the matrix underneath it to unravel and to let my body release that deep, deep grief that I was feeling, that the trigger arose to the surface so swiftly for me, which I am so grateful for. 
where I'm, I'm finding more and more that I'm so grateful for my triggers now that I'm learning to unravel them. I have been feeling fucking amazing since I moved through that. Like since I, I really gave myself like all of Saturday to be in it. And I even like for the first time ever asked my students to hold space for me. Luckily, I had a guest coach there who was facilitating all of it. Thank you, Christina. Um, but yeah, I got onto my coaching call like with puffy red eyes and I felt fine, but I was raw. Oh my God. I was like, I've never been in a call with my students this raw and vulnerable. And it felt so good to allow that part of me to show, especially because as leaders, like we try way too hard to seem like we're perfect all the time and like we've got it all together all the time. And you guys, if I'm not having healing breakthroughs, like I have, I'm, I have stepped off the path. Like I, I didn't jump off the wagon, but it's like I, I took a pit stop and I'm just like hanging out on the side of the road, you know? What needs to be explored here is exactly what this episode is called. And I am already feeling a lot of emotion come through, which is why I really asked for my guides and my supporters to speak for me today, to help me channel the most loving message that I can about this thing that I call the Jesus wound. And if you're listening and you feel that, like just breathe into it and feel what's there. And if you're listening and you feel nothing, then like maybe this will be interesting to you. Because I feel so much when I think about my Jesus wound. And even, you know, this morning I told Bruna, she's like, what are you going to do today? On Fridays I make my podcasts. And I was like, oh, you know, I had a moment where I thought, I don't want to go into those difficult feelings. I, I don't want to share actually. I'll just edit the interview I did this week and post that. And then there was that voice that's like, no, do what makes you uncomfortable. This is where you can grow. And also, if I'm nervous to share the message, it's probably because someone really needs it. So I'm going to go ahead and get into it. So this is my story of healing my Jesus wound. <laughs> I really like can't believe I'm making an episode about this right now. Um, but this prophet that we call Jesus, like wars have been started over who we think this guy is. Like entire empires have been built off of who we think this guy is. So much of our entire culture in America is based off of who this guy is. So if you're going to tell me that Jesus means nothing to you, I challenge you to unpack that a little deeper. And if you're listening to this, then I know that you're open to unpacking that. So thank you for kind of consenting for me to be in this space because I have realized that Jesus is one of those topics where we don't just throw our opinions and beliefs about him around like they have no meaning you know, religion, politics, these kinds of topics. And I have found in my work and in my life that just talking openly about who we think Jesus is, is really triggering to other people. So yeah, I invite you to open. Okay, I'm going to breathe in and take another sip of my drink.
Picture this. Little Jane was raised in an Irish Catholic family in the suburb of Salt Lake City, which means a community of 99% LDS folks in Utah, right? In a westernized country where Christianity and this whole Jesus message is just embedded so deeply in our culture, okay? So I was, you know, when I was two weeks old, I was baptized. Um, and that church I was baptized at, I would spend every Sunday at, you know, for pretty much my whole life. So I was raised very Catholic. And I have this amazing, I had this amazing grandpa. Um, and he was the most devoted Catholic man. He would go to the monastery to sit with the nuns every single morning. And when we would visit him, he would wake us up at 7 a.m. to go to church with him. He would always ask me if I was praying the rosary, which I was not, <laughs> which I felt badly about. Um, even though I loved praying the rosary, I wasn't very confident at how to do it. I think that if I was, I probably would have done it more. Um, anyways, it's, it's interesting because I loved my rosaries and I loved when he would teach me about it. And now I carry a mala every day and I do pretty much the same practice. It's just not in English and it's not praying to Mary. He really created that deep sense of spiritual connection to Jesus for us. And I think my mother fostered that in me as well. Even my dad, my dad wasn't religious, but he would refer to how amazing God is and like what he's created. And so I feel like I was raised with that spirituality and the mantra, and I've always wanted to get this tattooed on my body, the mantra that I was raised on by my grandpa that I will always hold deeply is Jesus loves you. Like no matter who you have, no matter what you think, when you think you've lost everything, Jesus loves you. And that was just a message that I was raised on that brought me so much warmth. Like I genuinely loved going to church. I genuinely loved sitting in the pews and the, the stained glass windows and the music and the candles and the kneeling, all of it. I, I loved it. I really did. I did my first communion and all of that. I was into it. And I was also surrounded by Christians who celebrated really differently than I did, right? In the LDS church, they love Jesus in a very similar way. They have a different Jesus. But their churches were very, um, what is the word? Wow, someone, I bet someone listening has the perfect word for this. Like you go into a Catholic cathedral and it's like this beautiful, mystical, spiritual place. And you go into like an LDS ward house and it's very secular. It's very secular. Um, and so I kind of felt like I got the more spiritual side of things. I really did. Um, but around age 15 or 16, I have very strong memories, and it's interesting as I'm reflecting on this, 15 is when my grandpa died, and I saw the fear in his eyes as we were losing him, and that will never leave my mind, ever. And his funeral was a deeply spiritual experience for me because in our 
in that in that that religion and my my culture really is kind of how I think of it now is that we would have an open casket and we would kneel in front of him with our rosaries and pray together reciting um, for two hours and that was truly one of the deepest spiritual experiences that I had had as a young person and I was 15 and this is like whoo this is bringing me to tears and so it's interesting because it was around this age after he was gone and it was like so tragic like it was such a tragic loss after he was gone sitting in church with my mom and just feeling like I'm not sure if Jesus really loves who I'm becoming you know, and it's funny because I started smoking weed. I started, you know, having thoughts about girls and, you know, started feeling into like the, the, the rebel really that lives inside of me. Nothing shameful, but really the, the rebel that lives inside of me. Whew, wow, this is just so much heavier than I was expecting it to be. The rebel that lived inside of me started to feel like maybe Jesus's love for me is conditional. And as I'm sitting in that church, praying to him, thinking about what I was doing last night out with my friends, being a totally normal 16-year-old, does he not love me as much? And I started to feel like maybe I'm not safe in this space. You know, maybe I'm, maybe this isn't for me. And I'm sad about that because honestly, I don't have any memories of the Catholic church saying that homos are bad or even that like pot smokers are bad or even like I feel like I went to a pretty liberal Catholic church if you're a Catholic in Salt Lake City you're probably actually pretty liberal um and all I learned about was the gospel you know and I loved the gospel and all I ever heard was that Jesus loves you and I I the society that I was raised in with the LDS culture around me being so strong the message of homophobia, the message of, you know, even caffeine being bad, like drinking wine being bad, that was like really, really embedded into me. And it's interesting how the religion around me, the cultural religious beliefs that were around me, were kind of penetrating the Catholicism that I was raised in. And so I didn't really have a homophobic experience growing up in the Catholic Church, but I did growing up in an LDS society. And I guess that feels important to say. Um, whew, okay, so that's when I started kind of letting go of my spirituality, honestly. And it's interesting because that's also when I started getting really depressed because that's when I started feeling really confused about a lot of things. I just, you know, that was when things started to get really hard for me it was around age 16 on through the rest of high school. Skip forward to college, Jane. We're in Oregon, liberal as hell. People there hate religion. People there hear that I'm from Salt Lake City and they are literally so shitty to me. And that's actually when I started really defending the culture that I come from because, you guys, I could tell you things that I don't appreciate about the culture of Salt Lake City, but ultimately, those people are the people who raised me. And I have way more good things to say about them than I do bad. So, not even going to go there. But it was great to be in a place where there were so many cultures. You know, I was seeing... I was meeting Jewish people. I was, I was making friends with like 
Muslim girls who like cover their hair and 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 I was making friends with people who were raised in like the Krishna temple and like I had a friend from China who was Buddhist and and I had so many friends who weren't raised religious at all and I was like cool I was opening up and that was really really good for me to realize how oppressive the culture I was raised in really was and my second year of college there was a special visiting professor from Harvard teaching a class called Folklore of the Bible. Yeah, let that land. That was the name of the class. Folklore of the Bible. The folklore program in Oregon is really big. And I was like, I'm taking that, oh, 100%. And it's funny because I thought tons of people would take it. There were like eight people in that class and we had this amazing visiting professor. So I was like, sweet, I'm gonna ask so many fucking questions. And this course starts, you guys, and my textbook is a fat, King James Bible. And I am assigned to read pretty much the whole fucking thing. I, we didn't read Apocrypha. I think we skipped that. So, or maybe we did. I'm not sure. I have it sitting in front of me because we're going we're gonna to do a reading later on. <laughs> oh my gosh, this is so fun. Okay. I'm having so much fun. I hope you're having fun with me. I have to read the whole fucking Bible for the first time because again, growing up in the church, I really only read the gospel. That was really the only part of the Bible that I felt like I was, you know, told to read. So I was very comfortable with the gospel and I love it. And we're going to read from the gospel in just a moment. But my, you know, I'm reading the Bible, you guys, and I'm reading the story about how, you know, in Egypt, the Pharaoh enslaved all of the Jews and then God, like, destroyed the country. And I was just like, wait, what? And this story wasn't new to me. Like, what's that kid's movie we all watched? The Prince of Egypt? Like, that story wasn't new to me at all. But being a college student, studying it through the, through the lens of folklore and discussing it and picking it apart with a class and having someone help, you know, the language of the Bible is very archaic, having us understand what they even meant by this. I was like, that was one of the stories and like the story of Jezebel, like, oh my God, I was just like, whoa, 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 wait. This is some bullshit. Like this is some bullshit. This is not the God. That I'm down for. And it, I think the most interesting thing about the Bible is that the Old Testament is a completely different God than the New Testament. For all my, for all my listeners out there who are Bible freaks, like, have you ever thought about that? Okay, but really, I'm so curious. If you're listening to this right now and you have read the Bible, I want to know. I want to know. So just send me a message and be like, yeah, Jane, I've read the Bible front to back. I'm just so curious about who actually has. So then we meet Mary Magdalene, you guys. And this is where everything gets really fun for me. We meet Mary Magdalene. Who's Mary Magdalene? From my Catholic upbringing, she's the whore, right? She's the whore who cleaned Jesus' feet and he forgave her, right? He forgave her even though she was a whore. Like, <laughs> I can't believe that's the language that I had. Again, I don't have any memories of my priests growing up 
saying that Mary Magdalene was a whore, but somehow that message translated for me. It's just so funny. So I decided to do my um, term paper on Mary Magdalene. And back then, you know, I had to go to the night library and I had to find books on Mary Magdalene. And I discover, you know, in a very, very small section that Mary Magdalene had her own gospel. Mary Magdalene had her own gospel that none of us ever got to see. And we found them back with the Dead Sea Scrolls. If anyone remembers when the Dead Sea Scrolls were, were found, it was in our lifetimes, it was quite recent. That's when they found her gospel. And that's where we learned that she was Jesus's consort. She was Jesus's lover. She was Jesus's partner in his life. And I am not, sh well, I'm, I'm very sure, and this is a radical thought, but you are consenting to hearing my thoughts today. Reading that, my understanding and what I have studied and what she wrote in her gospel, right? We all know, if you don't know this, after Jesus disappeared from his grave, right? He was crucified, buried, and he rose. And this is something we hear in the Catholic Church every single day. He rose from the dead. When that happened, because Mary loved him so much, after, after his death, she went to his, his tomb the next morning, and the, the big rock that was covering it had been moved, had been pushed open, and he wasn't there. And she was like, oh my God, holy shit, what the fuck? Where did Jesus go? Like, where did his body go? And he appeared to her and she ran to him to embrace him. And he put out his hand and he put his thumb on her forehead, stopping her. And he said, I cannot be touched for I am, ri I am risen. I'm being, you know, it's kind of what he said. Don't touch me, girl. I'm not like totally here. I have ascended. But this is my final message to you, boo, to my one and only. This is the last message. And I need you to go share this message, babe. Go tell all the apostles what just happened. And she's like, you got it. Love you. And she runs to all the apostles and she's like, you guys, you guys, oh my God. She runs to these 12 men, right, who, who are followers of Jesus. And she's like, you guys. I just saw Jesus, like he just came to me, but like I couldn't touch him because he was ethereal, because he ascended. And you guys, like he gave me his last teaching, I have to tell you about it. And they're all like, you whore, you whore, get, the, get out of here, get the fuck out of here, we will kill you. This is what Jesus' followers said to her, no joke. We will kill you, get out of here. And I will try to stop my story about Mary Magdalene there, but essentially what many believe is that she fled to the south of France while carrying Jesus's child in her womb, who we now know as Saint Sarah, also known as the Black Madonna. So, whew, these are all ideas, right? These are all ideas. You guys, we can't prove any of this. We cannot prove any of this. I'm sorry. We just don't have the history for it. 
So these are all ideas. This is all folklore. This is all legend. And for some of us, it feels so mystical and true. Okay? So what, I, what is crazy, and oh my God, we're already had a half hour, but you know what, you guys? We're just, who knows? Maybe we'll do a part two. I'm just going to let this transmission keep on rolling because it's feeling really, really good to speak about this. So <laughs> as I was ranting to Bruna about what I'm going to do on today's episode, and she started to give me that look of like, hey, babe, go talk into your microphone, like <laughs> trying to work. I was like, look at my Bible. Look in my Bible. You guys, I'll post a picture of it to my, to my Instagram story today. It is covered in post-it notes. And I am proud of this. And to all of the Jesus lovers out there who don't want to love me, I want you to see my Bible so that you can know how much I've studied. Anyways, <clears throat> but it's been a really long time. Like, I really need to, like, take another class or something or join a study group because it's been a while. But here's what's crazy, you guys. I decided to open the gospel to a random page because I love the gospel and it's been a long time since I read it. And I opened to St. Luke chapter 7, line 43, okay? We're about to meet Mary Magdalene. And I, I, I really love this description of her. This is straight out of the St. James Bible, okay? St. Luke, a reading. This is, I'm going to be my priest. A reading from the gospel of St. Luke. Simon answered and said, I suppose that he, to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest this thou woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. Whew. And he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. And they say that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And she said, He said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. So that's that those lines are describing this beautiful image of the love and devotion that Mary Magdalene has for her partner. Did she sound like a whore? <laughs> you know, she did not kiss my lips, but she has not ceased to kiss my feet. In the Buddhist tradition, in the Southeast, uh, Southern Asian community, in that tradition, I'm really jumping over here, we kiss the feet of our gurus. It's so traditional to see people kissing the feet of a guru and, and anointing him. And, and washing his feet with her hair. Like, he, he is describing the deep love she has to give him and to show him this, this leader, this savior, this healer. And the men are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. 
I think you're judging her wrong, dude. Like, she's a whore. She's sinned. And he's like, yeah, she's sinned like all have. And look at her love and her faith and her devotions. Your sins are forgiven. Because those who forgiveth little loveth less. Like, if you cannot forgive the sins, you do not have the devotional love. You guys, we all want to love like Mary Magdalene did. She was the powerhouse there. So fast forward, you know, this is just like a side note. If you're really curious about this, the Magdalene Manuscripts was later on introduced to me. Super, super potent channeled book by Tom Kenyon about the sex magic, which again, rooted in Tibetan tradition known as consort practice is what created the awakened spiritual being that we know as Jesus. So, whew, okay. So I completely fell in love with, this, with the gospel of Mary Magdalene. I completely fell in love with it. And I started to let go of my institutionalized religious concepts as being a, quote, Catholic and started feeling into the deep mysticism of the spirituality that all traditions are, can, and capital S should be. I started feeling, you know, I was raised praying to the Virgin Mary, and I always have felt a beautiful connection with her and Jesus. And now I get to pray to, to Mary too, Mary Magdalene. Like, that felt really, really powerful to me. So those are books you can go and check out if you want to learn more about her teachings. <laughs> Fast forward a bunch of years, right? I've converted to Buddhism. I have completely like rejected my Catholic upbringing and converted to Buddhism. And in Buddhism, we refer to Jesus as the great prophet and, and saint that he was. And I really liked that because in Buddhism, there are so many um, astral beings, if I will, if that's an okay way to put it, um, psychological symbols of, okay, now I'm getting like deep into like tantric philosophy, so I think I should back up a little bit. But in Buddhism, we really welcome in all cultures. We welcome in all the world's cultures to be viewed through the lens of Buddhism. And I really appreciate that because that meant there is room for Jesus. There is room for me to continue working on my relationship with him and with Mother Mary and with Mary Magdalene without fully rejecting them as, as guides of mine who have, you know, supported me. So this is just a funny, like, synchronistic story. I'm in a cab with Bruna and one of my Dharma brothers who's this, like, big firefighter Buddhist guy that I just adore and somehow we were on a cab ride to Bauda which is like the most high vibrational spiritual location I have ever been to 
So, but it's kind of a long drive from our monastery. So we're, we're talking and we're talking. And before I know it, me and my Dharma brother are getting into it about Jesus and Mary Magdalene. Like we are sharing the same stories. We have the same perspective. And we're just like getting so excited because it's not often that you meet someone that like thinks about these things the same way that you do. So... We're getting all excited and Bruna's kind of laughing because she's like, yeah, Jane is like such a Jesus freak. And it's funny because like Bruna has Jesus tattooed on her arm. Like Jesus is literally like this giant statue blessing all of Rio de Janeiro. And so it's funny because like, like whether you think you're touched by his presence or not, you are. You are. So sorry, random side tangent there. Anyways, we get to Bauda and we go, we always kind of go straight to, we do it, we do a couple rounds and then we always go to my, um, our, my, our, all of us, we all experience Nepal together, our favorite coffee shop. And I love this coffee shop, A, because they have a guitar there that nobody ever touches and I can pick it up and tune it up and play it. And B, they have tons of books there. Okay. There's tons of great things about this coffee shop. I don't need to make a list, but it's a great place. <laughs> If you ever go to Nepal, please message me so that I can give you an itinerary. Um, but there's always lots of books there, and books in Nepal are so cheap. And books that are printed in Asia are different than the books that get to be printed in the United States. It's just different. So we walk up the stairs to the coffee shop, and at the top of the stairs is the bookshelf where like all the current books they have on sale are. And it's always just a kind of a random spiritual handful. And literally, in the middle of the bookshelf facing us is the image of Jesus sitting in meditation and the, and the words, Jesus lived in India. I'm like, do I have that book nearby? Do I need to grab it? No, it's okay. I don't need to grab it. I don't know why I feel like I need to hold the book while I talk about it. But I saw it. My friend and I look at each other and I'm like, oh, it's mine, bro. Sorry, it's mine. Like, I'll let you borrow it when I'm done. And I just like grab it and I'm like, nobody can take this book from me. I am meant to read. Like, Jesus lived in India. Like, what the fuck is this? And I even, um, I posted it to my story pretty quickly. And one of my friends who I wouldn't really say that I'm friends with anymore, and this may be part of it, I posted it and she messaged me so triggered. She was like, this is so dumb. Jesus never lived in India. You can never prove that. And she sent me this like whole long message. And I was just like, girl, like, I didn't know, like, what, what's this about, yo? And um, again, like, I didn't consent to her telling me that my beliefs were wrong. It was a picture of a book, you know? And that's, there's, there's a message here that I really want to get through about consenting or asking for consent to tell people that you disagree with their beliefs. And never, ever telling someone that their beliefs are wrong. Because this book, not because, anyways, this book, it's pretty dense. It is a historical accumulation of the author, I forget his name off the top of my head, the researcher, just doing everything he can to prove this theory that Jesus did live in India, that he wandered to India after he was in his lifetime as a young boy, as a teenager at age 13, and also after he was, quote, crucified. 
he escaped to the mountains of Tibet. This is what this book is telling me. And in like Tibetan monasteries, they refer to him as Saint Isa. And they're like, yeah, he was here. Like, we heard the story. We heard what y'all did to him. We took care of him. Um, so it's really, really interesting to read this book that is all, and here's what I have come to really, really accept, you guys. This is all a notion. This is all interpretation. This guy is using every piece of science and historical fact that he can put his hands on to interpret who we think Jesus even was. And reading this book really, really helped me see we will never fucking know. As hard as this guy tried to prove it, in the book he really still couldn't prove any of it. It just felt good to read that. And Bruno will joke with you. That day, it started raining, like monsoon season in Nepal. And um, so I didn't really want to leave the house because it gets like the monastery because it gets pretty uh, dusty out there and muddy. And I sat on the deck in the rain. We put out some blankets and cushions and I sat and just read that book for like three days while it rained. And so it's interesting how I was in Nepal as a Buddhist in a Buddhist monastery living as a nun with my Sangha, getting teachings from Buddhists and still receiving these messages from Jesus. Okay, so that's just another big part of my awakening. So I really just, I kept deepening this relationship with him as I continue to deepen my own spiritual path and growth and studies. So fast forward, um, maybe only six months, I'm not sure, to my yoga teacher training in Thailand. Was this before or after? Why don't I remember? I think it was after. I don't remember. 2019, y'all. I had a good fucking year before 2020 hit. So went to Thailand, did my yoga teacher training, and I was in a very, de very deeply spiritual place. And my yoga teacher training is actually very much rooted in like the Tibetan lineage and obviously the Vedas and um, all of that, the yogic path. Um, and I felt the strongest presence of Jesus with me about halfway into that trip, just laying in the ocean, floating in the ocean waves in Koh Samui, just feeling like, like he's there, like he wanted to whisper something to me. And I was like, I'm here, I'm listening. Like, what do you want to whisper to me? What do you want to whisper to me? And I just kept feeling that and journaling about it and asking him to be with me and really opening up my soul to the knowing and the understanding that all Jesus is here to represent is the essence of unconditional love. Thou who forgiveth little loveth little. Yes, she has sinned many, but she is forgiven. Like, that's unconditional love. And that's what he represents. That's what his presence is here to remind us. Okay? That is like the only message that he wanted to get through, if you ask me. So I started coming deeper into that, and after I returned, a friend of mine was like, oh, I think you need this book. He hands me a book called Anna, the Grandmother of Jesus, and I, I just look at this, and I'm like, ooh. Now, this book is not historical. This is another channeled book, completely channeled book 
about who the grandmother of Jesus was. And the crazy thing about this book is that the way that the grandmother of Jesus describes what she witnessed in her grandson Jesus's lifetime mirrors what this historical author was trying to prove in Jesus lived in India. So for me, things are lining up. But again, I'm not dogmatic, and I hold my truths with a very open palm, allowing them to shift as I learn and as I feel into what feels true to me. So I just get to this point where I'm like, wow, I feel such a deep returning to this like true essence of who Jesus and Mary Magdalene and, and the Virgin Mary really are. And I feel like I get to take a full circle into the devotion and the love that I felt growing up. And actually, when I converted, my sister, who is not Catholic or religious at all, asked me, don't you think that Papa would be disappointed in you for, for leaving the church? And I don't think that she you know, said that with intentions of like kindness or like a deeper thought or anything. Like I, I, you know, the intentions were clear with that question. And I loved that she asked me that question because it got me thinking, absolutely not. I know and feel so deeply in my heart that he is so happy for me and so proud of me that not only did I find my way back to Jesus and Mother Mary, but that my devotion to these traditions, which my grandpa saw just the same, is love, generosity, compassion. Like he emanated the qualities of Jesus. Everybody that knew him felt that from him. He wasn't a bad man. He was the most amazing man. And he... I know that he's so proud of me because I stayed in my heart's path. I followed my heart's path. I followed what my love and my heart led me to. And so I feel so grateful that I got to circle back and realize that Jesus does love me unconditionally. And that just brought me peace. And you know, in college when I was going through this, a lot of my friends were making fun of me. A lot of my friends really just thought that liking Jesus was lame. If you're still listening to this, I'm going to assume that something resonates. And you may be like, wow, I didn't realize Jane was such a Jesus freak. I'm really looking at her differently. But you guys, this is part of my upbringing. This is part of what made me the spiritual person that I am today. But we all have a Jesus wound, we all have a Jesus wound, and my Jesus wounds recently have been getting triggered. So the first trigger came actually while I was in Brazil, and a really, really close friend of mine messaged me, and I could tell she was trying to be as kind as she could, but she messaged me saying that Jesus does not like yoga or breath work, or energy healing, and that in fact, all of that that I had been sharing with her was the direct cause of her anxiety and her suffering. So, like, just telling you guys that now, like, I can still feel, like, the burn of, like, someone I really, really deeply love, someone who 
I celebrated her relationship with Jesus. I really celebrated that awakening for her. To have that information given to me, it really, really hurt. It really hurt me, to be quite honest. And I was with my mom that day, and I was just like, I'm so mad, mom. Like, and I was venting to her, and I was like so happy that she she really understood me because she said, you know, <laughs> Jesus is that guy that we all want to claim as our own. Like we all want to be like, no, I have the best relationship with him. No, I know his truth the best. No, I understand more than you do. I know him. You don't. And what we need to do is allow everybody to have their own unique relationship with this person who we don't even know if really existed. <laughs> like there are no concrete facts around this guy, you know? But that day I was pretty upset because I've heard, this isn't the first time I've heard this, you guys, this message that Reiki is infusing the energy of Satan into somebody. This idea that asana yoga is like taking life force away from us and sending it back to gurus in India that are like siphoning our life force. Like you guys, I have heard this before. And the, 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 the breath work being a direct cause for increase of anxiety, according to the word of Jesus, that was a new one to me. That was a new one to me. And... Um, I'll be honest, you guys, I was so hurt by this that I did not respond because I thought I, I have to. I lost a friend to Jesus, you guys. That's really what I like. It literally felt like when a girl I was dating left me for a guy. Like, that's kind of what it felt like. Like, damn. And she left me for a guy that I love, too. That she said didn't love me. You know? And, and so it... Yeah, you guys, like, it fucked with me, man. It fucked with me. Um, so that really started to trigger something in me. And, and that happened in, in, in Brazil, right? So it was like, whatever, let it go. People out there have very, very... Huh, I told myself to stop saying very, very on my podcast. People out there have okay help me to be more clear I mean you know what I'm about to say people out there have extremely dogmatic views about who Jesus was what he said what he was here to do Jesus was a breathwork master Jesus was a Reiki master did he call it Reiki no he called it laying of hands he would put his hands on people and they would heal read the Bible it was called energy healing and he taught me how to do it. Okay, see, this is where I get... <laughs> I feel so vulnerable sharing you guys, sharing this with you guys. But, you know, I brushed it off. I was like, whatever. She touched my Jesus wound. We all have it, okay? But what I want to say about that... This person and many people like this person are waking up every day and making content and putting it out into the world to tell us that Jesus doesn't love us as we are, to tell us that the crystals, the fucking amethyst that I buy because it's pretty is evil, that the fucking harmless oracle cards that we're pulling 
to inspire us at the beginning of a day are evil. The fact that these people are waking up every day in, quote, service to Jesus and telling us, sharing, pushing information out there to tell other people that they are wrong and that Jesus doesn't like what they're doing and that the spiritual life that they have found for themselves isn't okay, that does not fucking fly with me, you guys. It doesn't fly with me. It's not okay. And that is why I didn't respond to that person. I don't know what happened, but suddenly that was all of the content that they were putting out. And I am not okay with that kind of content because it's damaging. And as a gay person, that's where the damage comes in. As someone who represents the queer community, I need those people and maybe somehow this show will make it to one of those people. I would love that. You are damaging people. You are causing more suicides. You are causing more people to self-harm. You are causing damage and violence towards people of my community when you push that information out there. And I am not okay with it. Like, that is just not the message that Jesus was spreading, you know? He loves you. He is the love of the universe. He is the love that the universe has for you. He's the love that the earth has for you. And there is nothing wrong with you. And the reason why so much emotion is coming through right now is because... On Friday, I got triggered in a completely unexpected way, you guys. So I'm in this coaching program, and the coach um, partnered us up and made a list and was like, random partners, here's your partner, find them, reach out to them. My partner found me right away. She reached out to me, and she was like, hey, Jane, I'm your partner. And I was like, what's up? So dope. Tell me about you. Like, who are you? What are you about? Like, tell me everything. I'm so excited to connect with you. Later that day, she responds by saying, wow, let me tell you, Jane, I am a woman of God. I am here to serve God and to serve his message. And I'm here to help women be the best husband, uh, wives to their husbands, the best mother to their children. I go to this amazing church and, you know, I found Jesus recently and I'm just so grateful. And then some other things. And like, there were three words in there that you could probably feel that triggered the fuck out of me in a way that I was not expecting. I'm reading the words And my intellectual mind, who has a very deep connection with Jesus and the concept of God, is is reading it and thinking, beautiful, yes, a woman of God on a mission 
who found Jesus, I love it, right? Like consciously, intellectually, that's the thoughts that I'm having as I'm reading this. And I try to start responding and I feel my heart and my belly just like starting to like, it's not even close down. It's like pucker up, like retract, like, like really yucky feeling, like yuck. Like I got punched in the gut. And I want to acknowledge that nothing in, nothing in this woman's message was harmful to me. Nothing. <laughs> like this was a beautiful message. And something in my body reacted so strongly, I felt horrible. And I was like, I had kind of already been thinking about going to get an acai bowl like before I read that message and um, Bruna didn't want to. So then I was like, maybe I'll just order it. And then I was like, I need to go for a drive. Like I need to get out of this energy. And I kept telling myself like, Jane, her message said nothing about harming you. Stop thinking that she doesn't like you because she loves Jesus. And the voice in my head kept telling me, you're a lesbian and she is not going to accept you. And I kept saying, Jane, that's not true. That's bullshit. Let it go. Get over it. Go for a drive. So I get in the car. It's a beautiful sunny day. I roll down the windows. I turn on death cab for cutie because that is the inner child healing that I'm in right now. <laughs> my 12, 13-year-old self was obsessed with death cab for cutie. That music felt so poetic. It felt like it spoke to my soul. It felt like it spoke to the beautiful, sad, dark side of me as a teenager who felt very deeply different from others. So I'm driving and I'm listening to this album, Plans, if you want to know which album it was. And I am literally feeling the deepest shame around being gay arising in my body, like the deepest shame. And before I know it, tears are streaming down my face and it's like the music is bringing it up. That's what I love about listening to old music. It triggers this. And I'm driving, and luckily I'm driving all the way to Fort Union, so I'm like really having time to feel into this emotion. And I'm like this, and this is where I talk about feeling the aliveness of your, tri of your triggers. I was like, wow, this feels so fucking good to cry about this right now. Like this feels so good. And then I get there and like, I'm like, okay, get it together. You gotta go in, get your bowl. You don't wanna look like this weirdo who's been crying. So I get it together, I go in, I get back in the car, I turn the music on and I let the emotion keep coming through me. And I'm like, I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna fucking let this feeling take me because that's what I have learned. This is how we unravel a trigger. And I get home and right when I get home, my older sister pulls up into the front of the house and I'm like, okay, Get it together, get it together, wipe it off, you're good, you're good. We chit-chat, we talk for a while, she comes inside, blah, blah, blah. I start eating my acai bowl, then Bruna comes down, Bruna's talking about her day, and before I know it, I am like just shoving away what I was feeling. And all night, I feel a little bit like disassociated, like a little bit checked out, and a little bit like I'm on the verge of tears, and I wanted to like, it was weird how I kind of like, I wanted to tell Bruna, like, I'm, I'm really upset. 
And then I kept telling myself, like, this is such a dumb reason to be upset. <laughs> like, you don't have a reason to be upset, you know? And this is, these are the mistakes we make in caring for our emotional bodies. So, we have a night, whatever, you know? We do our thing, we have dinner, all that. We go to bed. I wake up the next morning, Saturday morning, 5.30 a.m., 6, around that time. Sick to my stomach just sick to my stomach and I'm my first thought is like oh my god I'm gonna puke like I'm gonna puke what did what did I eat like did I eat something bad last night and I'm thinking about what I ate like I ate all the things I like always eat like I ate nothing out of the norm and I'm just like oh my god I'm gonna puke like I'm gonna puke and 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 you know no one likes to feel this way and I like to be mind over matter I'm like no you're not you're not gonna puke you're not gonna puke I got up put on my robe, went downstairs, got a glass of water, tried to, you know, just like get some fresh air, walk it off. And finally I sat on the, on the couch and I felt my body and I was just like, okay, subconscious, like speak to me. Like, why, what do you need to puke? Like, what do you feel like you need to get rid of? What isn't working for you here? Because you woke me up at 6 a.m. with this incredible discomfort in my body. And I'm not going to go puke. <laughs> I don't think that's what I need to do. So I got out my journal. And this is what I love about these early morning experiences where your subconscious is a lot more alive than your conscious mind. So I got out my journal and I just closed my eyes and I just asked, I wrote down like, subconscious mind, please speak to me. Like, what are you needing to puke? Like, what are you needing to get out of this body? And immediately the memory of that message I got the day before that I had tried so hard to just shove away and ignore arises. And it's like we, my body started telling me like we need to feel into the pain of this trigger. And I keep writing about like what this woman said, like how it felt to say like to be a good husband, to feel into, you know, that she found a new church and that and that she found Jesus and, and to how that triggered me and to how the society that I was raised in through this message of Jesus oppressed me and robbed me of my sexuality and shamed me into thinking that I was bad. And as I'm journaling, these tears are just flowing so heavily. I am crying so fucking hard that I'm it's scaring me. Because again, I think I'm past all this, you guys. Like, I think I'm so far past all of this. And I am just bawling out all of this. And the words that keep coming out of my mouth are, I'm so angry. I'm so angry. It's not fair. It's not fair. And what I want you to notice that I did here is I allowed my victim to completely come through. I allowed the victim inside of me to completely just have her day, to have her fit, and to let that energy move through my body. And it got to a point where I was like, I need Bruna to wake up now and hold me through this because this is getting to be way too much for me to hold on my own. And so this is when container is really important. Luckily, eventually, she did wake up. And as soon as she came down, she was like, whoa, 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 what's going on here? You know, and all I could say is like, 
I'm so angry. I'm so angry. I'm so angry. And, and, and she's like, you know, I'm like, do you have a minute? Like, do you need it? Do you need your coffee <laughs> before we unload on someone? You know, like you just woke up. Do you need a coffee? Do you need to do anything? Because I really need to like let this out. And, and she's, she literally like, okay, makes her coffee, you know, gets all that, sits down. And I just tell her all of this that I'm telling you now. And it's, it's interesting because in the first few moments, I can tell that she's like intellectually trying to like support me and like give me responses. And I like didn't give a fuck. Like I just kept talking over her and I just kept going. And it was like, I just unloaded. And eventually she got quiet and realized like, okay, she just needs to get all of this out of her. And before I know it, I am like so heavy in my emotions and Bruna's arms are around me and I am just yelling like, there's nothing wrong with us. Like there's nothing wrong with who we are. There's nothing wrong with the life that we live. Like we're good people. We're not hurting anybody because we're, we're being gay. Like we're not hurting anybody and we're good people. And like Jesus loves us and we belong to be safe. We belong here like we deserve to be safe here. And I am just like being heard and I am just like being seen and I'm just like being witnessed. And I'm so grateful to Bruna because she was just like, mm -hmm, yeah, yes. Like, and maybe some part of her was feeling healed through holding me through that, you know? And it was like my, I literally for the first time, I felt like my womb, like I felt the grief coming out of my womb space. Like it was so deep inside of me, these years and years and years of feeling like it isn't fair. It isn't fair that this side of me was just robbed from me at such a young age and that I was made to feel so ashamed of it. And that all of these institutions, all of these religions, all of these deluded stories about who Jesus was created such a strong oppression in my community that kids are killing themselves. I really need you to understand that. I know that like not all of my listeners are queer people and I really need you to understand that. My people have been killing themselves because of these institutionalized messages about Christianity and Jesus and, and homophobia. And I, as a Bodhisattva as a channel for healing, I had to move that grief through my body to liberate myself and all beings, not even just queer people, but all people. And after that ended, that like three hour process, I felt so clear and empty in like the good way, like that emptiness that we talk about in Buddhism, like achieving that state of like non-duality, of like harmony, of, of con the connection with myself was deeper. But I felt so raw and tender. I literally felt like a newborn baby. And I was like, I, am, I have a sanctuary call in an hour. 
And thank God for Christina Winkler, who was my guest coach that day. Because you guys, I can show up. Like, I can show up and I can literally be bawling 10 minutes before a class and show up fully. That doesn't scare me. But I was so grateful that Christina was there to hold space. And so that I didn't have to show up fully. So that I could just show up with my students, with my puffy red eyes and say, can I share with you guys like what I went through today? Because man, it's a lot. And like, I really want to be held right now and seen. So I'm really grateful to my girls who were there for me that day. And I really spent the whole rest of that day, like laying in bed, being really gentle with myself, you know, drinking tea, watching TV, you know, just cuddling with my dog, being loved by Bruna, and I just let myself be in that really tender place. And then guess what happened, you guys? Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I feel like I'm on top of the world because I cleared so much shit out of my body that I didn't even realize was there. And I'm working on healing this wound, you know? I really am. Like, I was just so amazed by how much I got hurt. Whew, okay. Take a sip of water. I'm very amazed at how emotional I have felt in this podcast episode, to be quite honest with you guys. Um, but I think that's maybe why I had resistance in the first place towards doing it because I don't want to like unload on you guys. I don't want to just be like, I don't want to be channeling my message from a deluded place. I don't want to be channeling my message from a fearful, triggered, angry place. I want to share my message like from the deepest place in my heart. Because being raised in a world where I was constantly told that Jesus loved me, like, that really meant something to me. Like, being constantly reminded how loved I am really meant something to me. Like, the compassion and love of my mother, like, that's what kept me alive through my darkest days, you know? Like, the, the trust that I am so deeply loved... You know, like, that's why I wanted to have Jesus Loves You tattooed on me. And maybe this is my next step to healing all of this, is, like, owning that. Owning that I get to have my own unique relationship with him. You get to have your own unique relationship with him. And we are not here. We are absolutely not here to tell each other how to be devotional, to tell each other how to be spiritual, to tell each other what to believe? Hell no. And I hope that this show has always felt like an open-minded space for contemplation. This whole thing is a contemplation about Jesus. I don't believe that any of this is fact. This is just what I've been vibing off of, what I've been riffing with. And maybe it feels good to you because the stories that we've been told about Jesus are just like, you guys, the gospel is like the tiniest part of the Bible. <laughs> like the amount of stories we've created from this tiny, tiny gospel is fucking wild. And I just like, I love to talk about it. 
I love to talk about it. And God, it's like the amount of, it's funny, I'm glancing over at this Carolyn Mays book called The Sacred Contracts that I could not finish even though Carolyn Mays is like one of my idols. And another book that I recently read called um, Quantum Warrior, which was really good. It's funny because I was, I took this book to Brazil to read it and I couldn't fucking read it because I was so triggered by my Jesus wound. Carolyn Mays loves to refer all of her teachings back to what Jesus taught. In the Quantum Warrior, Kehoe likes to, is that his last name? He likes to, he likes to try to prove that Jesus was also a Quantum Warrior. And I think I got to a point where I was like, do we all, can we all stop trying to refer everything back to who Jesus was? Because it's getting a bit conflated. <laughs> Here I am, I just made an hour-long episode about who I think Jesus is. But, you know, it's like... I got a little, like, I'm, I'm like, I'm getting a little bit sick of relating everything through the lens of Christianity. Like, I really am. I don't want to do it anymore. I want to talk about Jesus as the mystical prophet saint that he was. Just like St. Francis of Assisi was a mystical prophetic saint. Just like Mother Teresa was a prophetic saint. Just like... Buddha Shakyamuni was a prophetic saint. Buddha Shakyamuni is not my savior. He is one of many masterful teachers that I feel a connection with, just like Jesus. He's not my God. My God is the intelligence of the universe. And I had this really interesting Akashic Records reading where this guy really wanted me to prove to him that he had met Jesus in the flesh. And it was so interesting to be in the records and have the Akash say, that's not how it works, bro. This person may have been an emanation of Jesus because of his unconditional love. He may have been carrying the purest essence of Jesus' teachings in his soul. And that's what made you feel like this deep connection with him feeling this connection with Jesus. But Jesus, he, he died, and this is the same story of Chenrezi, like to shatter bits of his soul, bits of his body and flesh into each and every one of us. Bits of his unconditional loving nature, his loving kindness, his compassion, to be born within each and every one of us. So every time I ate the little wafer and took the little sip of wine, I was getting a little seed of his unconditional love. And I loved that symbolism. And, you know, also loved the idea that I was eating his flesh. That was always an interesting concept. Anyways, I want to prevent myself from ranting into any other further corners that are outside of my intentions for today. Let's all just take a big deep breath in together. <sighs> Beautiful. Let's do that again. <sighs> okay, one more time. <sighs> beautiful, beautiful. So I'm just thanking all of the guides that were here with me 
all of the support I had to bring this message through. I hope it felt deeply loving and supportive to your being. I hope it felt inspiring in some way. I hope you felt something open or something click or just a new idea came through for you. I hope it felt expansive and not contracting. I hope it felt loving and not oppressive. That is my intention. Mm. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for being on this journey with me. I would love to hear your thoughts and your reflections on this episode, especially if they're loving. And if they're not, that's okay too. I welcome all of you. Thank you so much for being with me today. I love you so much. Jesus loves you. Buddha loves you. Allah loves you. God loves you. All of it. Yahweh. Isis. All of them loves you. And I love you. <laughs>